morning. Everybody doing well? Great to see you. Uh, I tell you, this morning, a lot of people walking in saying, man, it's a windy, cold day out there this morning, right? And so uh, I think Winnie the Pooh calls it a blustery day, right? And so uh, just had to throw that out there. Since we talked about Scooby-Doo last week, I figured I'd just bring a little Winnie the Pooh in this morning. But it's great to see you here this morning. You know, I was, I was thinking about before, we, um, before the service started here this morning, just how awesome it is just to be able to connect with each other, you know, to just spend time together, even before we walk into this room and worship together. And I was, I was talking to a young man, and, and he was telling me, and it, just, it really was just sort of an eye-opener for me, but he said, man, I, I just wish Sundays came more often than they do, you know, more than just once a week. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, I just, I wish that, that Sundays were closer together. He said, I just count the days as it gets closer. And, and I was really just encouraged by that comment because it just speaks of something that we're going to be speaking about today, and that is Christian community. And uh, really looking at a gospel-centered community. You know, one of the things that I, I understand about community, and I hope you do as well, is community can be such an encouraging thing. I, uh, I know when I walk in the door on Sunday morning and I just begin to see all my old friends and just get an opportunity to speak to as many of you as I can, it's just so, it's so encouraging to be encouraged by one another, be encouraged by each other's smiles. And I look around the room and I see Christian community everywhere you look. You know, you walk the halls and you just see people that are greeting each other. You see people that are catching up since last Sunday. You see people that maybe see each other every single day, but they're just excited to be here. And I I tell you, that's just real encouraging to me. I think it's a great way to start a week off is by coming in together and not just coming together to for the purpose of worshiping and hearing from God's word, as important as that is, but to also fellowship together as a body of believers. We are a faith family, amen? And so God is doing some remarkable things in our presence, and that is just so encouraging to me. This morning, we're going to be uh, in our third week of the series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Living a Life of Resolve, Living a Life of Resolve, and we started out talking about the purpose of of redemption, the purpose of redemption. You know, in that message, the scriptures challenged us to take, uh, to, to decide on a course of action and to live our life with that purpose. And so oftentimes as you read through the scriptures, you realize that the, the very reason that you have been saved, the very reason that God redeemed you, the reason that God forgave you for your sins and has brought you into the fold of, of his family and of his kingdom is to live for a greater purpose than just yourself. And so we were talking about that in the first message and how important it is for us to understand the purpose behind our redemption. And then last week we were looking at the purpose of the church. And as we looked at this, we we, we went a direction that maybe you weren't expecting as we started talking about really uh, what John 4 talks about uh, as it speaks into the life of a worshiper And that we are called as believers to worship in spirit and truth and how important it is that we understand that as a church, we are called to bring glory to God. Whatever it is that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. And so we were talking about the necessity of living by faith and being true worshipers as we live out our life on this earth. And that takes great intentionality. It takes resolve in our life. We have to consciously make decisions every day to either follow Jesus or follow the world and so we want to 
understand and we want to uh, obey the word of God and being worshipers of spirit uh, of God in spirit and in truth and so we were looking at last week two essential truths I think are very important and worth mentioning today one is being yielded to the Holy Spirit you know we we talk about how the the Holy Spirit of God is is in this place but he is walking with us every single day in fact he is dwelling within us as believers and followers of Christ Jesus and so yielding to the Holy Spirit of God an essential truth for the life of every believer and then finally being centered on God's Word being centered on God's Word how important it is for us to to walk through life where the gospel is central and the gospel is what we stand on and the gospel is that which we read and study to know how we are to live and carry out our life as believers and followers of Christ Jesus amen and so we've been walking through that that's sort of a recap if you haven't been to the first couple of uh, messages of this series that's what we've been looking at but this morning we're going to be looking at the gospel and community the gospel and community and uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15 this morning this is where we're going to be going starting out this morning Romans chapter 15 if you have your Bibles or an electronic device with scripture on it you can go ahead and turn there uh, I encourage everyone to follow along as we read the text of the day if you don't have one of these uh, that you can open up this morning we will have it on the on the screens today but it's so important for us to be able to read God's Word together and this morning we're going to be diving into a very important book the book of Romans and you know as we as we dive into this book we begin to realize real quickly if you've studied this you would know that the book of Romans is primarily a work that is focused on theology and doctrine in fact it's very deep in those two issues and so we begin to notice right away as we start reading through the the, the book of Romans that that the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the Romans he himself a Roman citizen as he's writing to them he he wants to make sure that they understand the things of God he wants to make sure that they understand uh, a lot of important truths concerning uh, theology who Jesus is who God is but also the doctrines of the church and so we begin to see this as we read through this and as you read you begin to notice right away a heavy emphasis on righteousness in fact this is really if you if you want a theme for the book of Romans it would be righteousness and what we see as we dive into this book is something really remarkable as he focuses on on righteousness he starts out in the the first chapter uh, of the book of Romans speaking to the need for righteousness and this becomes so important for us because we know that outside of Jesus Christ there's no righteousness in us right we know that we are sinners who are basically in a really bad place if it wasn't for the righteousness of Christ and so as we begin to read through Romans we begin to see real quickly this need for righteousness in our life and we see in passages like Romans 1:18, it says this it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth and so we read passages like that and this is really the first glimpses that we have of, uh, of, of what Paul is going to uh, speak of as he walks through this book of Romans this this lack of uh, righteousness in our life we are 
by nature children of wrath. We are by nature un, unrighteous. And so he, he kind of throws out this need that if we want to if, if we want to stand in the presence of God, if we want to live eternally in his presence, then there needs to be some sort of change that takes place in our life. We read passages like Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, revealing to us this need for righteousness in our life. We are unrighteous, therefore we need some source, if you will, of righteousness. But Paul doesn't end there, praise God. He begins to transition into this understanding, or he reveals to us this understanding that, that righteousness has been provided to us through Christ Jesus. We see in Romans chapter 3 all the way through chapter 8 that Christ is the source of righteousness. We read passages like we see in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so, even though there's this bad news that is revealed to us in the first part of Romans, that we are unrighteousness and that outside of Christ there is no righteousness, we also see the good news, and this is what Paul brings up, that, that Christ is our source of righteousness. And so, he, you can see as you read through this, this very heavy book, this this book that is heavy and rich and deep in, in theology and, and doctrine and faces doctrinal issues that, that Paul is presenting to us very clearly the gospel message of Jesus. And so this is sort of how he starts off here. But by the time we get to chapter 12 in the book of Romans, by the time we get to chapter 12 and we begin to march through 12 and 13 and 14 and and ultimately get to 15, which is where we're going to be looking at today, we begin to see that Paul makes a transition, not just simply talking about Jesus being our righteousness and our source for righteousness, but how we can live out our lives as followers of Christ Jesus, how we can live out our life and practice the righteousness that's been given to us by Christ Jesus. And so he begins to transition into a very practical look at how we are to live our life. And so this fits very perfectly with a study that we're doing as we look at living out our life with a spirit of resolve. Okay, we talked about in the, the first week of this series that resolve is making this determined, uh, this determined decision to set a course of action. Action for what? For righteousness. And so this is where we're uh, finding ourselves at the third week of this series here this morning. So let's look at the gospel and community. I want to uh, invite you to stand with me, please, as we read this text together. Uh, we, we talk about how we stand together uh, to not only offer to us a little bit of a wake-up this morning, but also to just honor God, right? We honor God through the reading and the preaching of His Word by standing together and just honoring Him and, and worshiping Him through the reading of God's Word. And so Romans 15, verses 1 through 7, uh, and this is what the Scriptures have to say this morning. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may be one voice glorifying the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you, Father, for your presence in this place. We thank you, Father, for uh, the reality that in this place, God, you are looking to draw men and women unto yourself to do a mighty work in our hearts. And Father, we thank you for that that opportunity we thank you for the reality that we have your word to turn to God as we seek to understand more of who you are and and how you would have us to live out our life as children of God Lord we love you so much and we thank you Lord for this moment together this time of worship where we worship you in spirit and truth and Lord I pray that as we look into your word that you would you would open up our hearts and our minds that we would be more receptive to your spirit, to your presence, and God, that we would be forever changed by your voice. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. You know, one of the core beliefs at Crosspoint Church has always been gospel-centered community we talk a lot about community around here we always have we've since the very beginning we 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 sort of zeroed in on four words that help us understand who we are as a church we would say connect grow serve and send and these are sort of the core values that we see in scripture that we find in God's word that help us to understand who God has called us to be and so if you just look at those first two connect and grow you begin to realize that connection is a is a huge part of what we believe around here we 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 believe that connection should be more uh, in depth than just simply attending on Sunday morning but rather we should be involved in our different ministries and our different small groups whether it's life groups or discipleship groups or our smaller ministries within the church there's a tremendous need for us to find community in this place. Christian community is, is not our idea, it's God's idea. And as we look in the scripture, we begin to see that God's plan for his church is community. But in the same way, we also want to make sure that the community in which we find ourselves in is centered around the gospel of Christ Jesus. It's so easy for us to find our place in places where the gospel is non-existent. And I'm not saying those things might not necessarily be bad for us. I'm not saying that there are things that we do in this world that where, where the gospel message is not the core of what we're participating in. But, but the reality is, as believers and followers of Christ Jesus, we need to ensure that at least as it relates to our life, our life is infused with the gospel, that we are centered upon the gospel, and that we are understanding what it means to be gospel-centered as a believer and follower of Christ Jesus. And so every community in which we, 
would form here at Cross Point Church. Every community in which we would encourage people to be a part of would be one that we would say is a gospel-centered community. And so whether we're talking about worship or whether we're talking about serving or whether we're talking about praying or whether we're talking about ushering or whether we're talking about running the cameras or, or speaking in the children's ministry or, or, or coming to Bible study or going to life group, no matter where we find ourselves in whatever community or network we belong to here at this church, we want to ensure that it's wrapped around or centered with with, gospel, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love what Ravi Zacharias has to say about the gospel being the core of who we are. He once wrote these words. He says, outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope in this world. He says that cross and resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. He says, so wherever you go, ask God for wisdom on how to get that gospel in, even in the toughest situations of life. I love that. He's challenging the reader to always be considering how you can implement the gospel in your life. doesn't matter what you're doing. And if we go back to passages of Scripture that we see, and we've already talked about even this morning, where we read, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The only way that that can really be a part of who we are as followers of Christ Jesus is when we are intentionally living a life of resolve where we are implementing or planting the gospel in the core of our life. And so this morning we're going to be looking at this and trying to understand uh, what all this means. You know, um, a core truth that we might look at as we and, and ponder over as we look at this text this morning is that gospel-centered community is God's plan, and it has never been more important in your life than right now. And so let me just say that again. Gospel-centered community is, is God's plan. This isn't our idea. We didn't come up with life groups and say, man, this sounds like a good idea. We, did, we don't do Bible studies around here and say, hey, I wonder if we can get people and draw them out of their normal life and just come and read the Bible with us. No, this is God's plan for his people being uh, in community with one another is something that we see all through the new testament as we read through the scriptures and so it's important that we understand that it's never been more important than it is right now in your life and so this would be really a core truth that that we need to understand you know one of the things that i, I was reading this past week as i was studying for this message was that that sociologists reveal today that connection is easier than it's ever been before. You know, uh, it's not only easy, but it's, 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 it's also, and they would say, shallow. Because with one click, you can let 4,000 people know about the useless and worthless stuff going on in your life, right? In one click or one post, you can let people know that you are enjoying the triple sampler at Chili's and that the... The, the jalapeno poppers are amazing, right? And I, I want you to know if, if, if that's uh, how you sort of see relationships, I want you to know I value those sorts of posts because it gets me hungry and headed to Chili's for those jalapeno poppers, right? So, so uh, we have this remarkable opportunity these days to, 
to connect with so many people through social media and other means to and engage in what we might see as relationships in our life but quite honestly those relationships are pretty shallow but these same sociologists would also say that there's a real problem with this type of relationship building in fact one of the studies i was reading it says this and i I thought this was interesting. It says, although we are more connected than we have ever been with more people than ever, and despite the fact that it is easier to find people with shared common interests than it has ever been before, we feel more alone and more unknown than at any time that has been measured in human history. In other words, they're saying for those that are building their relationships around these sort of false communities that exist it, where, where, where people are living their life and their whole world is validated by how many friends they have or how many followers they have there's a grand, there's a grand danger in that because the relationships are so shallow you see gospel centered community speaks of a different kind of relationship it speaks of one that that assist in helping us grow as human beings and and those that are finding purpose in our life and as we read through the scriptures we begin to see these sort of relationships and how they not only benefit us as those who are building these meaningful and deeper relationships with other people as, as being something that benefits us but we also see how it also benefits others and it begins to help instill in us a sense of purpose in this life no more being alone when lasting friendships are being made no more feeling as though we're living a life with no purpose when there's great purpose in everything that we're involved in and so verse 1 begins by revealing some very powerful things about gospel-centered community. I want us to look at this. Well, let's start out here by just looking at verse 1. So in verse 1, we read these words. It says this. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, well before we get to chapter 15, well before we even come to Romans, so as we read through the Scriptures and and, and we, we begin to see that the scriptures are really good at contrasting what Paul calls here the, the stronger and the weaker. And I want you to know he's not speaking of physical strength. He's not talking about those who are strong and those who are weak. Physically, he's talking about spiritual maturity and spiritual convictions that we may have. In other words, as he mentions the stronger, he talks about those who are more further along in their faith that are stronger in their faith who are more mature as believers or followers of Christ those who have stronger convictions toward God's word and as he mentions the weak he's speaking about those who are maybe baby Christians in their life people who are just starting off their spiritual walk and they may be shallow but because they've only come to know Christ just recently and so there's oftentimes in the scriptures this sort of contrasting between the stronger believer not necessarily meaning they're a better believer it's just the reality that they're more mature than these over here and so we see this contrast 
often in Scripture. But I love what we see, and I want us to sort of go to the, the center of this verse, verse 1, and look here because uh, there's a word here that carries a tremendous amount of, of weight and depth that we see here in this passage. Look at this with me again. It says, we who are strong, and so he's speaking of those who are mature believers and have stronger convictions toward truth. We who are strong, look at this, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And so what we see here in this passage is this tremendous responsibility and this obligation that exists for mature believers to come along beside those believers who are weaker in their faith and may not have the strongest of convictions about their faith at this moment in their life. And so he says, it's not just, hey, help a brother out every now and then. No, he says, we are obligated as believers who are further in our faith to come along beside those who are not as far along in their faith. And I love this word he, that he uses here, to bear with. And, and, and it's, a, it's a really, it brings a lot of weight to this, to this statement that Paul is making because if we look at this word, we begin to realize that this is the same word that is mentioned in John chapter 19, verse 17, that speaks of Jesus bearing his cross. And so if we were to go there and we were to read the passage in John 19, speaking of Jesus bearing his cross, we would, we would have in our mind this image of what Christ Jesus has done on our behalf. I mean, if you know the gospel, if you understand the gospel message of Christ Jesus, you realize that you were a sinner who was in desperate need of salvation, and you deserve only eternal separation from God, but yet God loved you so much that he sent his son to this earth to walk on this earth and to live a sinless life, right? And so Jesus walked on this earth to live a sinless life, but also to be able to go to the cross and die for who? Not him, you. And so we see this tremendous weight that comes with this, this statement that Paul is making when he says, we who are strong, those of us who have stronger convictions, those who are, of us who are more mature in our faith, we have this obligation to bear the weight or to bear the cross for those who are not there yet in their life. It's an obligation. It's not just a good idea. It's what Christ has called all believers to be a part of us most of us have seen the scenes in the movies like the the passion of the christ haven't we where we see where jesus as he's making his way to golgotha he's he's dragging that that piece of lumber that cross that is that he is carrying after being issued a death sentence he has been given a sentence to die on the cross and so as he drags that cross bloody from the whips of Roman soldiers. He is 
making his way and there's there's agony and the body is bleeding and bruised and, and he's doing all this and he keeps walking he keeps walking with this cross not for his own sins in his life he has none he does this for you and for me this is what he's doing for us he's not only going to the cross to die he's going to the cross that you and I could live he's laboring for us he's suffering for us he's bearing the weight of the cross for you and for me Paul says as mature believers and followers of Christ Jesus we are to bear the weight of our brothers and our sisters what Paul is doing here is he's describing community in maybe some way that we've never seen before maybe we've never been a part of that kind of community you see it's not just being a member of the church it's not just being a member of a life group it's belonging to one another and carrying the weight of each other that we can do life together it's a powerful thing when you think about what this place is this is a this is a community of believers right we we as a faith family we we are a community of believers and then we have smaller communities in the and the different life groups that we have, but we have this tremendous obligation to live out life together, bearing one another's burdens as we go. Oh, it's so easy when we see a brother or a sister hurting, say, I'll pray for you. But is that seriously what the Scriptures is challenging us to do? I believe that when we see a word like to bear with the failings of the weak that is really challenging us to not only pray for one another but to care desperately for one another. And so Paul, when he says these words, has great intensity and it challenges us to take on a posture that maybe we've never taken on before. To live a, a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life is to live a crucified life. To live a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life is to live a crucified life. Secondly, what we see here in this text is we begin to see to live a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life is to live a determined life. We've been talking about this through the whole series as we talked about this reality that the scriptures challenge us to live a life of change, to live a life of resolve, where we intentionally set course to live this life of righteousness in Christ Jesus. And so as we read this text, we see that this comes along with everything we have already talked about. In verse 2, it says this. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Again, think about the context of what we're looking at here. He has just finished saying this, is, this responsibility of discipleship 
that falls on every one of us as believers and followers of Christ Jesus to raise up other disciples to come together and bear with one another and to carry one another and to help one another through our convictions and through discipleship and through just coming along and helping one another. This is a heavy responsibility. And he carries this a little bit further when he says these words, let each of us, he doesn't leave anyone out, does he? Remember, Paul is writing to the Roman church. He's writing to those who are believers. He's writing to followers of Christ Jesus. And so if he would to ask them this question and say, how many of you are followers to Christ? Uh, most of them, I guess, would probably have raised their hand. And he says, okay, to you I'm writing this message. And he says, the scriptures, God's desire for all of us is to let each of us, what? Please his neighbor for his good. And then he explains what he's talking about here when he says this, to build him up. Why is it in so many Christian churches around this country today, there seem to be people more intent on tearing each other down than there are building each other up. Why does that exist in the Christian church? You know, probably all of us have been at the receiving end of some nasty stuff that comes from the hand of those whom would call themselves a Christian, amen? We've probably all been there where where we've been hurt by someone at the church, or we might say we've been hurt by the church. It seems today, in today's culture especially, that as you look across Christianity today, there seems to be more tearing down from within the walls of the church than there is a building up of each other. It seems to be all around. You hear stories. I have pastors every day who call me, and they're seeking advice as they deal with this sort of thing in the life of their church. Why would that be the attitude and the posture of anyone who calls himself a follower of Christ Jesus? How can we call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus when that is not the Jesus way? How can we do that? Paul says here, he says, every one of us, speaking of believers and followers of Christ, if you are a Christian, you should be living a life of resolve to build each other up. Oftentimes what we hear is the complaint, but we never hear a solution, do we? We never hear the solution, just the criticism and the complaint. And so Paul says here, that is not the posture, that is not the attitude of any believer or follower of Christ Jesus. You need to check yourself if that's where you find yourself. You need to seek the Lord because it's not the Jesus way. And so here he challenges us, let us not be like the rest of the world. Let us instead, as we come along beside each other, let us build one another up. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think might happen if we all started living for others instead of ourselves? What might you think God would do in this place if we begin to make a decision today, say, say to ourselves, God, today I'm going to live, I'm going to live with resolve in my life. And the, the resolution that I'm making for myself is to just push out of my life criticism and tearing each other down but instead I'm going to build up my brother and sister in Christ what might God do in this place here 
What might God do in your life when we start living for Jesus? And so here we see something really powerful as Paul, he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear. And then he says, let each of us, he's not leaving anybody out here, please his neighbor for his good, build him up. And so what we see here is gospel-centered community is God's plan, and it becomes one of our greatest acts of service. You say, Pastor David, how can I serve the church? Why don't we just start with building each other up? Why don't we just start with just praying for one another? Why don't we start by just encouraging one another? I got a man who lives in Atlanta, and every single Sunday I can show you the text. For probably the last four years, this man has sent me a prayer that he is praying for me before I walk up on this pulpit. He doesn't have to do that. He never misses a Sunday, never. About a year ago, he, he texted me, he said, hey man, I'm gonna be going off on sabbatical and I'm gonna be gone for a couple of months and, and I'm gonna be off the grid. You're not gonna be able to get in touch with me or anything and, and I love you, brother. Just be praying for me while, while I'm away on sabbatical and I thought, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I get it and, and, and I didn't mention the prayers but I thought, well, for the next two months, if I don't hear from him, I know why. Every single day, every single Sunday, I mean, before I got up to preach, I'd get that text from him. After a while, I'd just run out of things to say back to him. Like, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm just so grateful. Well, I've said that 6,000 times. I, I'm just so appreciative of the encouragement. Well, I've said that. I've hit the heart button like a million times, right? I'm just putting it big heart. It, it, it certainly looks pretty gushy, gushy if you... If you were to look at my text thread, it just looks like I'm just sort of in love with this guy, right? But in a sense, I am. I think he gets it. I think he gets it. Living for somebody other than himself. And I can't pray for him, because if it does, I just look like I'm copying him, right? Right? I tried that once. I beat him to the punch. Hey, brother, I'm praying for you this morning. I gave him this big prayer. He says, copycat. <laughs> and shut me down just like that. I'm like, okay, I'll be on the receiving end from now on. Just bring him on. He wouldn't let me even get away with that. Gospel-centered community. It's God's plan. And gospel-centered community becomes our greatest act of service to one another. You know what? I am so thankful for those that greet us when we walk in in the morning. Amen? I am so thankful for that. I'm thankful for those that prepare our coffee and serve us coffee. I'm thankful for the volunteers and our children's ministry. I'm thankful for our security team that's just out here before anybody really gets here setting cones up and directing traffic in the cold and in the wind. I'm thankful for those guys. I'm thankful for every. But the greatest act of service that we can be a part of is gospel-centered community. Loving one another, building one another up. Romans 14, 18 and 19 says this, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let then 
So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual what? Upbuilding. Never seen that word before until I read it in this passage. Upbuilding. I'm sure other translations may say building one another up. Galatians 6, 2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I love that. One of the greatest ways that we can fulfill the law of Christ, one of the greatest ways that we can bring pleasure to God is by building one another up, by being the people that Christ desires for us to be. It truly is amazing when you think about it. What God's word shares about what it means to be a faith family, to be a community, to be a, a group, if you will, of believers and followers of Christ Jesus. And I can only imagine what God might do in this place if our hearts were all turned to him. Amen? The last thing I want to point out to you here this morning is that Paul reveals the makings of a great church. I just asked the question, what might God do in this place if our hearts were to suddenly turn to him? But I think it's really interesting that the Apostle Paul, he sort of defines what a great church might look like. He doesn't say, let me tell you what a great church is. He just simply describes it after talking about building up one another. And what I realize as I read this is what makes a, a big church, it's not, it's not the number of people that attend on Sunday morning. That's not what makes a great church. It's not the quality of worship that we experience on Sunday morning. That's not what makes a great church. It's not how well the the ushers do their job. It's not how much money we take in. It's not all these things that we are capable of measuring that make a great church. What makes a great church, and Paul reveals this to us in this passage, is that when we enter into this time of building one another up and looking after each other and growing together, we begin to come closer and closer together and we become one. You can be a church of 15 and be unified and be a strong and great church. Or you could be a church of 3,000 and be strong and unified and be a great church. But that's what I love about what Paul is revealing to us here. It's not all those external measurements that declare for us if we're a great church. It's not that we can even declare for ourselves, this is a great church. Even though I would say it's a great church. It's when God's people come together believing that together they can make a difference. Look at these final words of Paul. He says in verse 5, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Remember everything that he's just said. He says, he says, live out your life, not beating each other up, not destroying each other's life, not causing division in the life of the church, 
but by building one another up. Come along beside each other. And those of you who are stronger, you go to the weaker. And you go and you help them. And let us grow together. And then he says in verse 5, And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord to Christ Jesus. There's the gospel, right? There's the gospel-centeredness of community that he's talking about. That together you may be with one voice. Again, this word one, revealing to us unity or being unified with one voice, glorifying God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you and all for what? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. That's what makes a great church. Matthew Henry, he once said these words. He said, the foundation of Christian love is laid in like-mindedness, or at least in agreement in affection. Like-mindedness among Christians, according to Christ Jesus, is the gift of God, and a precious gift it is, for which we must earnestly seek unto him that God may be glorified that we may earnestly seek unto him. That's living a life of resolve. There's too much wrong thinking in the church today. There's too much wrong thinking. But we have an opportunity today to begin by living a life of resolve where we say to ourselves and to each other, I'm going to live differently than the world. And I'm going to live to glorify God.